has your word with you tonight. Why don't we, uh, why don't we lift it up and hold it and hang on to it? There's a lot of strength in that thing. It seems that every day I face a struggle in my soul, keeping out the enemy that's fighting for control. And I know I should be strong. But it's hard to stand against what I can't see. Yes. But from way down deep within my heart, a passage is revealed, reminding me to let your word become my sword and shield. And it's comforting to know that the devil has no power over me. And I'm living in the pages. promises that get me through each day and I'm finding strength I need with every turn I'm living in the pages I'm standing here amazed at how long ago you knew the kind of day I'd have today what I'd be going through and that everything I need was written down so many years ago that is amazing every day i'm finding out the time is hard to find and when i miss my time with you i find the loss is mine so fill me with your word so that anyone who sees my life will know that i've been living in the pages it's where I'm leaning on your promises that get me through each day and I'm finding strength I need with every turn I've been living in the pages I am living in the pages it's where I need to stay and I'm leaning on your promises that get me through each day and I'm strength I need with every turn. I've been living. I've been living. And it's where I need to stay. And I'm leaning on your promises that get me through each day. And I'm finding strength I need with every turn. Yes. I'm living in the pages. I've been Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. I've been living, I've been living in the pages. I love your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I have not quite had a reaction ever in my particular ministry of being able to speak to people 
quite like I've had tonight. I have enjoyed this night so much. But I can't tell you how I'm wanting to get into the Word. And I thank so much Sister Snow and Sister Schumacher and Sister Oaks and Sister Wendell and to the general board that sits behind them. I thank all of them for the invitation. Thank you, Sister Barnett, for inviting me the very first time. Thank you. I may not have ever been here. I may not have ever come. They may never have known how good I am if it hadn't been for you. Actually, I can't believe you had me back, honestly. I, I really can't. But, oh, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious for this meeting. I've been very anxious for this meeting. I, I must tell you that it was not easy to get here. From the very first time that Sister Snow called to invite me, it was not easy. And that's very strange. But tonight, I know why. I see the finished product of this service tonight. And I see why it was a struggle for me to get here. And no doubt, it was a struggle for every one of you. Think it over. Think it over. Was it, was it absolutely horrible to try to get here? That's how it always is. But let me get through some particulars. My daughter, my wonderful daughter, Michael, was married six weeks ago tomorrow night. My new son's name is Jeff. She was the most beautiful and radiant bride I have ever seen in my life. And I can tell you all about that. My 11-year-old son's name is Gentry, and now I love him more than ever. And I am not unlike you in that I wish that I were with him at this very moment. Aren't we, aren't we guilty? I think it's just our lot in life. We're guilty. I want to be here with you, but, oh, I really want to be with him. Uh, I've been married this coming Monday to the same man, by the way. For 25 years. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I think you may need to applaud him a little more than me, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but we are going to, we're going to party come Monday. We are going to take a few days off and we're going to leave this world behind. <laughs> we sure are. Uh, I must say how very happy that I am uh, to have a member of my family here tonight. And if you will please indulge me just for a moment, I do not have a large family. My mother, I only have one mother and one father, and they are still married after all these years. They, each one, only have one sister. And they didn't have a whole lot of kids, so there's not a whole bunch of us. It just happens to be that this is the part of the world, thereabouts, where my mother's family is. And her sister, which is my aunt, and my namesake. Uh-uh, I'm her namesake. Her name is Mickey Truckenbrod, and she is here tonight. And please, Aunt Mickey, stand up and turn around so that everybody will see how gorgeous I am when I am 50 like you. <laughs>
Uh, Aunt Mickey, they're still looking for you. Just one more time, stand up. She's on the front row, y'all. Where did y'all think I was going to put her? Here she is. Thanks to my lovely assistant, Melanie Thompson, we got front row seats for her. But uh, I, must, uh, I must say that uh, probably Aunt Mickey is not feeling very well. She has endured very, very much in the last few years of her life. And uh, Aunt Mickey, it's just a bunch of women in here who love to cry together and laugh together. And I just want to tell them so that they can help me to pray for you and uh, so that they can help you to bear your burden. Uh, in one year's time, she lost her mother, my grandmother. The next year, she lost her son. And then this past year, she has lost her husband. And it's just been bam, bam, bam. And my Aunt Mickey is a very, very strong and wonderful woman. And she has stood under the cross very, very very well and with a lot of strength and then her body has been attacked with a sickness in which she needs a touch of God and so I am very thankful that she is here tonight because I feel such a flow of the spirit I don't think that it's just me I think it is what thus saith the Lord and what you have come for and I am only going to sing because this next song, thank you, Brother Engelhart, the next number two, uh, because my dear aunt has come to hear me sing and to minister um, in song. And so this song I dedicate to you, Aunt Mickey, and to all of you who have a need. I promise you it's going to be met. Like peering through a window bled with rain emotions run together in a flood of doubt and pain we pray as best we can then we must place it in God's hands yet I know when my eyes fail to see He is able Even though it seems impossible to me He is able Yet if He chooses Still confident he's working all together for our good. I can stand upon his word, for he's able. to haunt you night and day how could God allow your heart to be torn this way 
Does he listen when we call? Or is he even there at all? Yet I know when my eyes fail to see, he is able.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank Him. Thank Him. Thank Him. He sees you where you are. He's so mindful of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I should like to read Luke, the sixth chapter, 47, 48, and 49. Before I ever begin, I am pretty much a practical teacher. That's the majority of what I give and what I feel that I do best and what I can say with ease. This is different than anything I have encountered. This is different. It's quite possible that I may read every word as it came to me because I don't want to miss anything that he spoke to me. If you'd like to stand, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Is that how your Bible said it? Okay. I wanted a confirmation. You may be seated. A young man named Eric determined within himself to start a business. He was so different than the other lads around him in his family and in his neighborhood and in his school. He had in his mind before his teen years even of what it was that he was to become what he wanted to do. And all that he did in his very young life in some way brought to him a skill or an insight to further enhance his calling, to further enhance his enterprise in which he wanted to give his life. He went off to college. He carefully selected his disciplines and his curriculum that he would follow. And he wasted absolutely none of his elective courses. But he made sure that every hour spent in class, every hour spent in lab, was giving him another treasure, another insight that would enhance his skills once he graduated from school. After he did graduate, and I might say with the highest honors, he turned down some very lucrative job offers and he began his journey at an entry-level position because he felt that he needed the hands-on skills. Many in his family and his closest friends thought that he was very odd. But each job that he took, he would still stay, no matter how strange or odd, he would stay at that position six months to a year only. And then he would move on. Each job was carefully selected by him to again enhance 
some skill that would produce him and his enterprise. Something that would expose him. Some skill that would teach him. Some facet that he felt would give him a degree and an edge in the business that he so wanted to start. That is what he gave himself to. About four years before he was ready to launch his business, he began to do some in-depth studies of the demographics of the community in which he was going to live, where best to position his business, the culture, the educational level, the learning power, the background. He researched his capitalization needs. He broadened his scope and his abilities in economics. Finally, he was ready to finalize his plans and to begin a business. He prepared an in-depth folio, portfolio, an in-depth file. Meticulously, he put it together. And then he met with the banking institution of his city. Eric went into one of the vice presidents of the bank and he carefully went through his resume with him, explaining why he took these courses, why he was involved with this job, then that job. He laid it out piece by piece. He then went into the economics of his business, of what he thought was important and where the business, the business is all that mattered. And how he was going to weather the first few years was so important to him. He said, Mr. Vice President, I have carefully anticipated that when I enter business, I will not have any problems. I have carefully analyzed every contingency. And I have anticipated everything that could come in the scope of problems that might, just might, be a problem to my business. Nothing will come that will catch me by surprise. My business, I have anticipated. I will begin a business and it will not have any problems. The banker, ever so cordial, smiled at him, and he said, Sir, you are the kind of individual that we want to invest our money in. We want to capitalize on that. However, Eric, I'm sorry, I cannot approve your enterprise at this point. He closed the portfolio, and he slid it back across the desk to Eric. And he said, I would rather you go and do some further research, Eric, and come back and tell me how your business can survive problems. Not escape problems. Because, Eric, sir, there is absolutely no way to build a business that will eliminate escape, and circumvent every problem. I am so glad 
that Jesus understood that. He understood this and gave us the rich truth in the sixth chapter of Luke. In the life of living for God, expect problems. Storms will come. It does not matter where you build. Be it on the rock, be it on the sands, you're going to have problems. It doesn't matter with what integrity even that you build. It did not matter whether the house had foundation or not. The storms still came in Luke. And the storms still come in Wisconsin. And in Louisiana. And in my home. And in your home. And in my church. And in your church. In my life. And in your life. I have observed quite tragically so often that people simply do not put up their lives to stay. It's easier to play in the sand, isn't it? Jesus never tried to institute a church in which there would be no problems, however, he is the great master teacher. For he built in the wrong place. He anticipated storms. He knew that the church would know its dark moments, its trying hours, that it would feel the erosions of compromise, that it would see the failure and the falling of some of its princes and its admired chief leaders because Jesus built his church at the very gates of hell. And he said, I build it here, but I build it well. It will have storms. It will have problems. But I am building a church that will survive every problem, every situation that it encounters. And so far, it has. Jesus didn't try to build a problem-free church. In fact, he anticipated failure. Do you remember his general board? He told Simon, Satan has desired to have you so that he might sift you as wheat. And he said, I am anticipating that this is going to happen and that you will fail, Simon. Jesus said that? But he also said, When you do, I am praying for you. <laughs> I am praying for you that when you fail, which you shall, your faith will not fail. Because if your faith remains intact after your failure, then you will recover and you will strengthen the brethren. If your faith does not fail, you will come out better than you ever were and much more strong. Jesus 
anticipated storms against the church. Eric, he anticipated that we would have blunders, failures, mistakes. He just prayed that there would be an innate quality and strength of faith within all of us. That when the storm came or the failure came, that our faith would not fail. And that our lives would stand because we built in the right place. On a strong foundation. It's always in his mind that we will recover. Not that we will fail. Not that we will not fail. But we shall recover. That's in his mind. It must be. He's praying for me. Right now, he's praying for me that I won't fail tonight. Oh. Still, Eric, he anticipated that I would fail and that you would fail and that you would fail. And that I would have storms and that you would have storms. And he sought to teach us in a truth that we will not and cannot escape them. But we could and we would survive. You cannot pray. You cannot fast. You cannot worship enough to stop problems. You cannot pray, fast, worship strong enough to keep people from turning against you and hurting you and having malice towards you. You cannot pray and worship and fast hard enough, long enough to keep anyone from having moral failures. But I can tell you what you can do. You can pray, you can fast, you can worship enough to survive whatever comes to you. There is just no way to build. There is just no place to build where there are no problems. It's not there. The thorns are in the ground. You cannot build a godly life that will not have problems that doesn't have problems. You don't enter a marriage where there are no problems. Hark. <laughs> there are no relationships, be it woman to woman, man to man, you to me, child to parent, without problems. There is no fellowships and associations without problems. Hey, there's no church. <laughs> in fact, probably some of the meanest people in the world are sitting in your church. I know for a fact some of the meanest people in the world are women. I don't care if you're not honest and won't agree with me. It's the truth. Men are just kind of laid back, you know, just kind of cut through the rhetoric. Let's get to the problem. But women love the rhetoric. Let me find a problem in the rhetoric. 
I can talk about me, okay? I'm a woman. A couple of years ago, the relentless rains in southwest Louisiana and southeast Texas and the relentless rains of the Midwest, how horrible they've been, brought the water table from about a foot and a half below the ground to ground level. Now, a foot and a half below the ground, that's pretty deep. The lakes, the Sabine, and some of the other lakes became beyond the flood stage, and they had to release their water. And because the ground at that particular point that had been so dry became so saturated, it couldn't absorb any more water. And the rivers ran out of their banks, and there was tremendous devastation, wasn't there? There are things that can come to your life and come to you. Rains that will pour on your parade in such a succession that you can absorb. You've got a foot and a half, and you can take that much. The water table of capacity is low enough that you can take just a few hits, a few knocks, a couple of setbacks. You can catch your breath, perhaps, have a little bit of time to recover, and maybe walk away without getting too much mud on you. But at other times, there are problems that can come in your life, and at times they come in such a succession that you absolutely cannot absorb anymore. You're at flood stage. You're absolutely overwhelmed. And it seems that the problems wipe out your seemingly strong building, cover up your beautiful landscape, and sweep away the love, the care, the concern, and the devotion of years and years and years. And you wonder, why me? But God never intended for you to build where that would not happen. Remember where he built his church. What he intended for you to build is in a place that when that did come and arrive at your door, you would be a survivor. You cannot just build a home or a church where no one backslides, where no one fails. Heaven isn't perfect. There was a devil in it. The garden wasn't perfect. It had a snake. The church wasn't perfect. The son of a devil was in it. God never intended for the church to be totally without that kind of influence. What he did determine was that regardless of it all, the church would prevail against any storm, devil, snake, that would ever come against it. He loves victory. How can you experience victory without a fight? Yes, 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 yes.
Yes, we propagate a gospel for which the devil has no clue, y'all. He doesn't have a clue. We propagate a gospel. We give him too much credit. I, I don't like even talking about him tonight because he thinks by me saying this that I am aware of his existence. I really don't like to even give him that much credit. He doesn't have any idea what's even going on in this place. Has no idea. He doesn't have an answer for anything either. No answer. Has no answer. Don't be asking him anything. <laughs> there is no weapon formed that can succeed against the gospel. He has no weapons. None. Has no weapons on the truth of which you have predicated and founded your lives. He can't attack that. You will and may have setbacks. And you may have failures. And you may have made mistakes. There may be life works at times that seem to be washed away. Life works. Life commitments that are washed away with one flood seemingly. But deep down inside... There is a faith that is dealt to every man and woman. There is a strength, a vitality, a capacity to rise again. A faith that can look in the face of tragedy and say, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I have fallen, I shall arise. Yes, you will fall, but you shall arise. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, Lordy, 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 Lordy. Oh, hallelujah. In Noah's Ark, there were all kinds of things, okay? There were lions with lambs. There were men and women. <laughs> there were ravens with doves. There were cats with dogs. This all happened in the ark. And it's still happening today. <clears throat> my little boy, speaking of dogs, my little boy, Gentry, wants a beagle so badly, so badly. And so help me, I will get that little darling a beagle. <laughs> Listen, in the church, we have some of these things. It's just kind of like a picture of Noah's Ark. The church. Cats and dogs. Men and women. Lions and lambs. Ravens with doves. Get the picture. Now, I love the church. I do. I just have had a wake-up call. <laughs> there are some beagles in the church that can smell a rumor approximately 97 miles away. And I don't know. 
maybe a beagle can smell good, but it's those Irish setters that point and go so slowly (laughs) until they get it. Don't let that rumor leave before I get it. (laughs) They have a tongue longer than a giraffe. And I know how long a giraffe's tongue is because I got licked right on the face one time by one. I think it started way down here, like me all the way up. Okay? This really doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about. But in hell, the devil wanted a story passed on. And he got the slimiest, dirtiest, most filthy, vile, most perverted, twisted, incestuous, stinky, what'd you say? Okay. Spirit that he could find. And when the spirit was called to the throne with the mission to go tell the story, the little demon said, Do you think that I am so low that I would stoop to do that? And I, if I'm being cynical, that's where gossip fits. I honestly believe that from the pits of hell is where gossip fits, the only place. But ravens are first cousins to buzzards. Now let's get back with the raisins and the raven raisins and prunes. Uh, ravens and buzzards. Okay, all they feed on is dead meat, dead carcass, dead issues, dead issues. Leave it alone, for heaven's sakes. What? You know, I know that the get a life thing is kind of overused, but please, come on. Get a new life then, okay? Okay, yet, they're in the same boat. Do you understand me? The ravens are in the same boat with the doves, right? Their appetites are different. But just as the ark survived... And everybody came out on dry land. So must we. You have no excuse. I don't have anything else to say about that. But you have no excuse. You might as well get along, okay? You must build a home. You must build a ministry amongst the ravens and the doves. You must build a concept in your relationship with God that I am not going to circumvent problems. That I am going to have my normal amount of human failures and mistakes. To err is human. Everyone makes mistakes. Is life all about avoiding mistakes? 
I do not like the privilege of making mistakes, but I do. I do. I do. I do. And I learn from them. And I learn well from them. And most probably, I am a much better person because of my mistakes. The thing is, I just don't want repeat performances. I must learn from them all. It's the most valuable lesson. I must have a view of ministry. And I must have a view of a relationship with God. That I am not in this thing for one day. I'm not in this thing for however many days they were on the ark. I am in this thing for good. I'm cut out for it. I'm cut out for it. I was made for it. I don't care how long it takes. I'm in it for eternity. I'm in it. You can count me in. I'm in here. And I'm building a concept, y'all. I'm building a concept that whatever comes and whatever happens, I intend to be a survivor. I shall survive. You can't buy enough insurance to keep your house from burning down. They don't sell enough insurance to keep you from wrecking your car. But there is insurance available that helps you survive and recover what? Losses. Yes? Yes, property and material when it comes to those kind of calamities, and they will occur. But let me tell you this, and I tell you this in the Holy Ghost. There are the same kind of benefits that can help you recover losses, properties, materials, whatever it is. There are the same kind of things that are in the Holy Ghost to supply you, to prevent anything from coming against you that would... Thank you take a total loss, a total devastation. It will not prevent the wrecks. It will not prevent the calamities. But there is built in the Spirit the power to come into the rubble of Jerusalem. And among the ashes to rebuild the city and to rebuild an altar and to rebuild the temple all over again. Beautified. Better than it was. That benefit comes in the spirit. And how would you have known the benefits, Eric? A brook trout lays and fertilizes 50,000 eggs at its demise. Of these 50,000 eggs... No more than one half dozen will reach the adult stage. Many will die before they are ever fertilized or incubated. Many of them will be consumed by their own species. While they are very young, they will be consumed. And about... This half a dozen will arrive at adult stage. So trout have built this built-in urge in nature to procreate far beyond the bounds of what would be normal or necessary for the survival of their species. They overproduce. 
When we pray barely enough to give us credibility, when we pray barely enough to have any personal relationship with God Almighty, we are asking for a fall. We are begging for trouble. There must be a spiritual principle that is built, well built, into our lives. Because underneath life, there has got to be a reservoir. There needs to be something for us to draw from. There's got to be a wealth of something. So that in the calamity and in the crisis and in the storm, I might survive. It is said that, I love this, peace. It is said that peace is the possession of adequate resources. If I'm a farmer and the drought has gone on for months, but I know that I have a well to which it has never, never, ever run dry, then I can be very confident and stand strong because I know that in the face of long, hot summer months, I can possess a calm and a poise because I have a well. And when I have a well, I have a peace. That's why Jesus was so poised. Wasn't he amazing? Don't you wish you could have seen him and walked with him? Don't you wish, don't you wish? Because the wells of his resources and the nights that he spent alone in prayer kept him in deep resources. When the winds howled and the stresses of his ministry roared around him, he knew that he had a well dug deep enough to survive any drought and any contingency that would come. Here's my object lesson. No marine engineer has ever sat at a drafting table and designed a ship that was fast enough. They've not designed one whose engines were powerful enough to drive it beyond the reach of the storm. And to escape the 20 and the 30 foot seas that would batter it in a storm, they haven't mastered. The marine engineer understands that this ship in its lifetime is going to have the worst kind of typhoon and perhaps the worst kind of hurricane. So, in the captain's quarters, in a safe, is what is known as a hurricane file. Have you heard of those? Are there any shippers in here? Any sailors, I mean? In that file... In that portfolio, the marine engineers that built the ship tell the captains exactly what they have to do, at what speeds to sail, how to breach the waves, exactly how to sail through the storms, how to prepare for the worst, because that engineer knows 
There is no ship that has ever been made to escape the storm. With every new convert that comes through our doors, I pray, Lord, give them a love for the Word. Give them a thirst for righteousness. Give them a hunger for the Word. I don't, I may be wrong. I don't, I don't pray that they'll stand for righteousness. I don't pray that they'll go win the world. I pray that they'll love the Word. Love the Word. Love the Word. Desire the Word. Hug the Word. Mm. Because if a person loves this book, it's God's hurricane file. I can sail. I can. I believe I can fly. I believe I can sail. I can. I can. I may not, not, I may not have a clue once I get in the big middle of it how I'm even supposed to take care of it. But I've got the file! In this file, I can find stones to kill any giant. In this file, I can find out how to come through the lion's den and not get bit. I have a built-in hurricane file right here. And if I consume the word, then I'll have my file in here. Oh, God. So So full, so full. Samuel Plumsell was a marine engineer. Hope y'all like water. <clears throat> All of you, no doubt, have seen, if, you, if you're into this kind of thing, his work on every ship that sails. You've noticed that on the bow or on the stern, there is a painted yellow line. Has anybody ever noticed that? Please, somebody shake your head so that I won't look like an absolute jerk. Thank you. Thank you. There's one. Thank you. It's called the plum sail line. Huh? Am I saying it wrong? Plum line sail? That's what I said. No, plum sail line. <laughs> plum sail line or plum line sail? It's a plum line? Oh, I did much research into this tonight, people. (laughs) Samuel Plumsell was his name. I'm not sure what they call the line on the boat. (laughs) But, But anyway, this is the good part. Well, I got something from it, and I didn't laugh when I got it. Samuel Plumsell determined, Aunt Mickey, at times I forget that you're down there. I hope that I am not embarrassing you. (laughs) I love you. 
Well, anyway, this man, Sam, <laughs> determined that many agent, and don't you tell my daddy either, Gwen. Okay. Now I've gotten carnal. <clears throat> okay, now this is good. Sam determined that many ancient boat and ship builders were of a type that felt that if the ship was lightened or if it rode higher in the water, that it could go faster and it could escape the storm sooner. That's why, as in Jonah's days, that is why there were so many shipwrecks. Most of the ancient ships of war that were built were built out of a beam material that could have survived absolutely every storm. But there was a failure to understand that a certain burden, a certain amount of weight, and a certain amount of load was the best interest of the ship to brave the storm. Do you love that? Does this make sense? One of the things that we do in mid-storm and amidst the trial is lighten the load. Let's lighten the load. Let's escape the responsibilities. We want to get away from it. And I understand, God knows I've needed to get away. We need to get away from it for just a little while. But it is the worst thing spiritually that we can do. When you are under the load and under the storm, the greater you can bend yourself to the task. Have you ever noticed that when you go on a vacation, you get wiped out? That's the truth. Really, you come back exhausted. And it takes so long to get back in the groove. That's the truth. I'm being honest again. The greater you can bend yourself to the task when you're underneath the load, the more burdens you can take on. When Jesus felt the pressure of the cross, listen to his prayer in John 17. He looked at his disciples, and it would seem that at that particular moment that he could have put down all the things that were on him. He deserved to put it down. He deserved to put the world down. And all of the responsibilities that we're carrying, he deserved to put it down. But as he bore the burden and he bent to the load of the cross, he said, For their sakes, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. This is either very simple or it's very profound. He realized that he must bear the cross with integrity. Actually, what he was saying is, watch me. This is how you do it. 
This is how you hold up under the load. Watch me. Learn of me. He showed them. He showed his disciples. He showed the company of men that he had begun his ministry with. He showed them how to do it. He showed me how to do it. Too often we want to get out from under it and we want to run away and escape. And it's the worst thing in the world that we can do. Because many times it is our burdens that save us. And I'm sure that's all in hindsight. But God give us the ability to have foresight enough to see that. We need to teach people how to survive the storms. We can, we can preach a faith that, heal, that heals and cures cancer, and that's wonderful. Preaching a message that solves every financial ill and problem, that's wonderful. And preaching that keeps all of the children safe and in the home is wonderful. But before God and all of his honesty and my honesty. It never has been that way. There has never been a picture perfect. It has not been that way. It will not be that way. And no, it will not stop me from believing God for my next miracle. That does not shake my faith one bit. But what it does teach me is that there are some storms that I won't escape. And I would be wise if I would learn how to survive. And I would be wise to teach someone else by my survival how to survive. Amen. Amen. Heavyweight Evander Holyfield. He's the whatever. <laughs> said, no man becomes a champion who can't take a punch. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I'm going to say it again for some of the airheads. <laughs> <laughs> I proved I was an airhead tonight. I mean, you know, confess your faults one to another. I still don't know if it's plumb line sale or plumb sale line. No man becomes a champion who can't take a punch. I've known people who can't take a punch. They're out of here. They couldn't recover. So sad. So sad. Their hearts were hurt, they couldn't recover. Their spirits were hurt, they couldn't recover. The chains of Egypt may have scarred Joseph's wrist, but they never scarred his soul. They never scarred his heart. They never got his spirit. Do you know, sometimes I have had people ask me, where do you get your songs where do you get your, your mess? And I have had some doozies, y'all. And messages. Um, uh, one me what messages. What do you call these? My speeches, okay? Some of my speeches have been called. Get off the platform. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny. 
It takes a donkey. <laughs> Long and winding road. Some people want to know what those come from, where those come from. Life. They're born out of life. They come from a couple of people knocking you down. Evander Holyfield. They come from people lying about you, Joseph, trying to put you in a place, speaking evil things about you, trying to catch you at something. That's where they come from. Most of them come from out of the hidden sackcloth and underneath, underneath things that happen. Things that teach you that you are frivolous, that's where they come from. From things that teach you that you're arrogant and that you're haughty and that you're not nearly as good as you think you are. That's where they come from. Are you walking with God or are you walking with somebody that walks with God? Abraham walked with God. Lot walked with Abraham. And Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. David walked with God. Joab walked with David. And Joab lay slain on the horns of the altar. Paul walked with God. Demas walked with Paul. And Demas forsook Paul for this present world. You cannot people just have a relationship with the church. You cannot just have a relationship with a good wife or with a good husband or with an esteemed leader or with an admired pastor. They cannot be your strength. They cannot be your anchor that holds you. You will fail to find one example in Scripture of a person that did not have their own walk with God. They're not in there. The Bible says that Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Spirit, remember? But when He came out, He was, what? Full of the power of the Spirit. The wilderness has been the graveyard of many. Even though they walked in there full of the Spirit. A few have come out like Jesus. Having gone into the storm full of the Spirit. Yet having come out full of the power of the Spirit. You can go into the valley like David with an attitude of simply coming out with your hide and that's all. Or you can go into your storm with the resolve that if I am going to come through this, I've got to get a grip. I'm coming out. I've got to be well built to come out of this thing. But I'm coming out of this wilderness because I alone am walking and talking with God. If so
somebody else could save us, I would be in good shape. I've got an incredible mother and father. I've got an incredible, incredible family. The best as far as I feel. But they're not there all the time. And the storms are there a lot of the time. And that's where I learn to walk with God. In Scotland, many years ago, there was a train wreck. And after days of searching through the wreckage and the debris, they came upon a woman that was in a fetal position. In this posture, they had to literally break her arms because rigor mortis had already set in. They had to break her arms because she had surrounded her arms around a child. Miraculously, the baby was still alive. The mother, no doubt, had insulated the child in her fetal position to protect the child from the crushing blows. As they lifted the child from the mother's arms, it smiled and it giggled and it was so happy to see someone. And they noticed in its hand a very small brown paper bag. And they had to, of course, see it. And they tried to pry it out of that baby's hands. And the little child began to cry frantically and scream and clutch at the bag so that when they pulled it away from her, it tore and little pieces of candy fell to the ground. That's all that was in there, is candy. The story's importance is this. Sometimes tremendous things are taken away from us without so much as us even knowing it or acknowledging it or expressing any dismay over it. And then sometimes the smallest, most inconsequential losses bring out of us a cry, a pang, a fit. Saul lost his throne and lost his walk with God. And with no more than even a noticeable fear or any panic at all, he went to the preacher and he said, anoint me and do it in front of all the people so I will be made to look good. But David said, God, you can have the throne. You can have the kingdom. You can have the robes. You can have the riches. But don't take your precious Holy Spirit from me. You as well as I have read this 
scripture a hundred times. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It goes on in that hundredth psalm to say that he is our shepherd and that we are the sheep of his pasture. He is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. I've read it many times. But it never dawned on me that the only time that sheep go to church is when they are sacrificed. In the context of the 100th Psalm, the writer was saying to the thing that would be sacrificed, enter into his gates. Enter into his courts with praise. Worship. Even though you are going to be sacrificed. You can't avoid problems. And you won't. You can either walk with God or you can walk with man. And you can either enter into his courts fearful and prideful or you can enter in his courts with praise and thanksgiving as David did. And in your heart be saying all along, take not thy holy presence and spirit from me. As long as I have this word, as long as I have his presence, as long as I walk with him, I'm built well. Amen. I would never be presumptuous enough to know how to end the service. And I submit to the leaders to do what they choose to do. But let me tell you, it has never bothered me one time when I had to take some notes home and let God finish the message with me. So for the end of my part, I'd like to sing a good old song. And I'd like you to sing with me. And I'd like you to take your notes home and ponder these things all night long. And know that you are a survivor. You are here. You're here. You shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Is it the truth, Sister Snow? Was it a battle? Was it a battle? I know what you've been through. I know what you're facing. Was it a battle? We shouldn't be here. We're in the middle of a storm. Is that not exciting? I know where the 
plum sale line is. Troubles and trials more than enough. Sometimes my way gets rugged and rough. I have his promise he'll go with me all the way. Though the valley is dark and drear, I know my Jesus is always near. I'm going to make it all the way home someday. all the way home someday when at Jordan at last I stand he's gonna take me by the hand I have his promise he'll go with me all the
is able. He is able. He is able. He is able. He is able. You are able. Built, 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 built. Oh God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. I can, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can. I can, I can, I will, I shall, I shall rise, I shall rise again.